is Thrash It Out, a show where we listen to a heavy metal album and then argue about it. I'm Brian Latendry. And I'm Anthony Johnston. And this is a Backstage Pass episode where we chat to one of our Patreon supporters about their path through metal uh, and an album that is special to them. And today's guest is longtime listener Torren Grunbeck. Say hello, Torren. Hello. Uh, hello. You hello. Ha- you have been, you're a really long time listener, aren't you? You've been listening m- I mean, you're one of our longest standing patrons. Well, I've been listening since day one, I think. Yeah, since day one. Because I, as uh, many, I think I found your podcast through, like, it was Unjustly My Lion that I started listening to, um, which was a great podcast that I kind of wish you still did because it's so good. Bless you, thank you. But it takes so much work. <laughs> well, well I, I can see that. It's just, I like an hour about Hudson Hawk. It's just, that's what I want in my life. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So uh, tell us, well, I mean, I mean Brian and I, th- this is the weird thing about this one. Brian and I do already know you uh, a little. So tell us, but also tell the listeners, obviously, a bit about yourself uh, and, you know, how you became a metalhead. Uh, well, um, I'm the region. Um, I write comic books and paint for a living, which is a really nice way to make a living. Um, I would say that I, I've been thinking about that this because I knew you were, you were going to ask the question about how I got into metal. And uh, I suppose the answer would be like it was always there. Um, I think the first metal concert that I went to was Metallica when I was 12. Uh, but at that time, I've already already knew the albums. They were always around because my my sister is a huge metalhead, and my mother is, and it, like my my father liked jazz, but the rest of us were just metal. So I had I can remember very early liking metal and liking punk. The first time I was sent to the principal, it was because I wrote like Anarchy or Chaos on the blackboard, and. <laughs> <laughs> And they were like, this isn't, this, you shouldn't do that uh, because something. Uh, but I'm not sure I really knew what it meant because I was eight, but it was just always there. Um, and it's like, that was my, uh, if you, if you looked at like my interests when I was from about 12 or 10, 12, it was computers and it was metal. That was what I was doing. I went to concerts and I went to like computer parties where we brought our computers and sat down and coded and made music and made demos for the people who knows what a, a PC demo is. Oh, the old demo scene. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was my life in pretty much exclusively for uh, quite a few years. Um, I'm going to ask about comic books, actually, because obviously that's, you know, one of the things you do the sort of the thing that came along uh, and added to that topics but also i just want to say like god bless scandinavia your mother was a metalhead oh yeah <laughs> I, I i checked the 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 date for the metallica concert and it was her birthday it was her birthday gift to go and see metallica and she brought us along that is fantastic was what was the tour which tour was it oh god i don't remember i think it was uh i i think i was 12 so it would have been 96 I suppose we could check that at so some point. So it would point. have been the load or reload, sort of load it's and reload something era. Something like that. Yeah. 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 Um, and I, I just, I can remember it physically hurting 
in the beginning, like my, my chest was hurting. And then by the end of it, I was just, I will never leave. I just want to do this forever. Like it was, it was the best feeling, but I, I can remember the pain, like, oh, there's something here that I love. Um, that's, that's funny because I, you've probably heard me tell this story before. Like, you know, my early, my, my sort of origin story, as I've mentioned before on the show was, um, hearing Black Sabbath's Paranoid. And it was a kind of, it was a physical, visceral reaction to it that that i had and that kind of like and oh this is the thing for me this is this is it um yeah weird that isn't it you don't get that with pop music <laughs> no and, and i think at some point like the, the pop music uh, this was this was in the 90s so there was a lot of boy bands um and you did sort of i i i will probably talk about this more later but you kind of had to choose whether you were into metal or if you were into other things. Uh, and I very early on just went, no, I don't like pop. Like, it's stupid. Uh, I'm not sure that's completely true now. And I'm, I'm sure there were some great acts in the 90s too. But that was, I was very much like a metalhead from the beginning. And that's kind of, I can't remember it being any other way, but pretty much. That's kind of ironic uh, with you being Norwegian because the 90s were when AHA released some of their best albums, in my opinion. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And you and your AHA stuff. It's so strange to me. I, I, uh, no, I, I, I like that you like them. I respect that you like them. I respect, I respect them. They are a fantastic band. They're still a fantastic band. Anyway, um, but yeah, so, I mean, computers and metal, you're still into. I know this. But oh, yeah. like I said, you did also, obviously, you've added comics and now you work in comics as well. Were you reading comics as a kid at the same time as doing all this or did that come along later? Oh, very much so. Um, I, I was reading comics. I, I think that was, I had th like the kids comics that I could get a hold of that was in Norwegian. Uh, but I didn't really fall in love with it until I could read English with any confidence so that once again like 9-11 like 9-11 that sounded horrible like those kind of years when I just started getting into um I would go to the, the used bookstore uh and get all 2000 ADs um and Excellent. anything anything that I could afford and that's going to be like a, a thing we get into because like a lot of the things that I, I I had to choose a lot when I was a kid, just like which album should I get for the money that I have? I have I I can buy one album. Which should it be? Um, and and it was the same thing with like comics and books that I, I kind of tried to find things that I liked that I could afford somehow. And all two thousand IDs, all like trades from America, and then I found the Vertigo stuff, which I just it was just the best it felt like like it, it felt like something uh that made sense to me in a mm. way that nothing else did um and so from the age of like 13 that was what i read and loved very much so like comics metal computers nerdy stuff in general <laughs> i i think we can all Really, oh, certainly myself yeah. and Brian. There, there's but I would, kindred I, spirits there for sure. Yeah, I would imagine most of our listeners as well. We, you know, a lot of metalheads especially can relate to that idea of a not having enough money to buy everything that you want when you're a kid and going like, oh no, I have to choose between these two albums. And also, yeah, having that feeling 
whether it's comics, computers, music, whatever, of finding something and going, oh, oh, this feels like it was made for me. And uh, that was, I wonder if it had, like, Fields of the Nephilim, the Elysium album, that I kind of, mm. I was considering trying to trick you into talking about it. <laughs> uh, it's maybe not technically metal, but it is a fantastic album. Um, that was one of those albums that I bought based on uh, the guy at the record store who knew me at that point because I hung around there all the time. He gave me a job at some point, so I worked in a record store for a while. Um, but he said, I, I think based on the things that you come in and listen to, that you will love this album. And then, so I got that instead of something else. Um, and And I just loved it. I love it with a sort of uh, when I meet people who doesn't like this album, I kind of feel like we were not the same species somehow. Like it's just, I, I just don't understand how they. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is a fantastic album, yeah. It is a fantastic album, but I do wonder if it was the kind of like I, I spent all my money on it, so I better fucking love it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's always an element of that, but it is also a great album. And by the way, it's now, as we record, 17 years since the last Fields of the Nephilim album. I'm so annoyed about that. Go on, Brian. Sorry, you were going to say something. I was just going to say about the record store thing, because I think about that a lot. Um, because when I was growing up, I had a, a record store that is still around to this day that was so embedded in like the foundation of me being a music fan, a metal fan, and things like that, especially because a lot of what I was listening to wasn't on the radio and in in a lot of cases wasn't necessarily on MTV, even though those were both gateways for a lot of that stuff. So how important, and this is for you too, Anthony, like how important was the record store? Did you both have a local record store that you, you know, obviously, Torin, you, you just mentioned that you worked at one for a little while. So like how big was that in your formation of being a, a metal fan and just kind of in your music fandom that was the record store to you you go well, on to uh, you first okay I, I would say that it was uh the the most important thing in my town at the time because it, i live in a very small town uh in in norway uh our only claim to fame in like a music thing is that dimmu borge is from my town. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty uh, big claim to fame, though. It's very cool. Uh, but I, but I would say that I, I used to meet them a lot because you could you can tell when they were around because they went full on like with the corpse makeup and they, they were very visible in our town. And I remember my my uh, we were out biking. I must have been like eight or something, uh, and the chain on the bike fell off. And so we stopped and said, "Can you help us?" And they kind of went, "Fuck off!" Like we're we're metalheads. We don't help children. <laughs> and I remember me and my sister had one of those. But don't you recognize your own? Like we're we're also you you you're like our big brothers. What the fuck? Um, uh, but but it's that is my town. Like it's it's a tiny town, suburbia. We don't have a lot of things, but we did have a great record store. And the guys who worked there were always like knowledgeable and. Uh, that's they they really wanted to bring kind of music to the people which was excellent and and not a lot of like uh pretentious um gatekeeping is a kind of a word that yeah. word that's been used over i feel like people have missed the point of what gatekeeping uh was was supposed to be i don't know uh if you go on tiktok they don't know what the word means but there were no gatekeeping in my record store which was excellent and 
I they asked me if I could come work there when I was I think I was 13 and I said I'm 13 and they went oh okay come back in three years and I did and I got the job which was nice <laughs> oh can you not work well, Until you're 16? I think they had a policy about that. I was oh, already okay. working in like a computer store at the time. Uh, so oh, right. I was so it's not like a Norwegian policy or something? No. Uh, but we do have a lot of policy. Like if, if you work uh, when you're like under the age of 18, you, you, there are a lot of laws to make sure yeah. you're not exploited oh, in any way. Same here, sure. But you are still, I think over here that you have to be 13, I think is the minimum age. But yeah, you know, as long as you are, then... Yeah, there are restrictions about what they can and can't make you do, but you can still work. Yes. I mean, mine's fairly similar. You know, I, the town I grew up in probably wasn't as small as yours by the sounds of it, but it was still a relatively small town. But we had, we were very lucky in that we had a big indoor shopping mall at the centre of town, as a lot of English towns do, um, that had, by the time I was a teenager, we had essentially three record stores there. Um, which, I mean, now I don't think there's a single one, obviously. Uh, one of them wasn't a record store per se. It was um, uh, the WH Smiths, which is like a sort of kind of a hard store to describe to people <laughs> British, actually. They sold like magazines and books and stationery and greetings cards and records and also some household goods. Very odd store. Um but the record section was actually pretty good, but it was ultra mainstream. Like if you wanted anything that was in the charts, that was where you went. Then we yeah. had um, an hour price, which was a franchise chain. Uh, and that was, that was very much a store that kind of those stores depended on who ran them. And we were very lucky in the hours was run by a guy who was, who had very eclectic tastes. Uh, or very broad tastes, I should say. Like he did like mainstream stuff, but he also liked loads and loads of indie an alternative stuff as well. He was actually the DJ at a local uh, alternative indie night. Um, so, and he, he was a great guy. And that was the store where I got into, where I used to go and shop for things like REM and Cud albums and stuff like that. You know, the sort of more alternative and indie side. And then there was another shore store, which I think was called Magpie or something like that, which was a tiny, tiny little hole in the wall store. But that was where you went if you wanted your alternative metal and your goth and your fields of the Nephilim and stuff like that. Um, so, I mean, they just sold other stuff as well, but that, you know, they also, that was where you went if you wanted something that was a bit off the beaten path. So we were lucky in that we had the, all those different sort of types of store. Uh, and I absolutely relied on them. Yeah. You know, there were albums, there are albums I still listen to now that I bought just on the strength of the album artwork while browsing in our price, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's like this musical mentorship thing, right? Like uh, for me, in ours is a, a store called Music Outlet, which is a it, just a little indie store. And the same guy, Gary, that has been running it since I was a teenager is still um, running it oh, today. Wow. And he used, he used to have this board when you walked in where he would, uh, with marker, create the logos of all the bands. And then you would walk in and it would show every <laughs> Uh, album that was coming out in rock and metal for you know the next month or something like that and so you just walk in the first thing you'd see was the board up on the wall with all of the release dates of everything that was sort of coming out and then um you know my friend and i who used to work at a at a grocery store we would get our checks this is like 15 my whole entire high school you know time we would go cash our checks 
as soon as we got them at work. And then in the same plaza was the music store. Um, and it had moved there from a, from a mall that we had had uh, earlier. And we would just walk over and buy everything that came out that week. Um, we would, so we spent our entire paycheck on, you know, whatever was coming out. So it was just so um, embedded in my love for music. And I feel like to this day, like anytime I go to a new place, I look for the record store and the bookstore. Like, and yeah. I remember like going to Toronto and, and, uh, for the first time and finding like a little independent bookstore and the guy who ran the bookstore was also a metalhead. And I had the <laughs> longest conversation with anyone that I had the entire time I was there with this person to the, to the chagrin of the people that I was with, because I ended up talking to him for like 45 minutes, you know, about concerts that we'd gone to and stuff like that. And it's just like, those were, those are the places where I go to find my people is like the bookstore and the record store. I would say forty-five minutes is reasonable. I mean, that's right? that's expected when you Thank go into you. a record store. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, especially if you hit it off with uh, with the owner. I mean, the other thing about sort of um, us having to decide, relying on record stores, and having to decide which album we're going to spend our money on, in my view, was also because. And I'm sure this would have been true in Norway as well. Certainly over here, uh, there wasn't a lot of opportunity to go and see a lot of bands yeah. live. Um, you know, or not without shelling out an enormous amount of money. In any case, yeah, well, a, a lot of the, the like the big uh, the big bands came uh, came by, but uh, there were all the indie stuff. They never they never turned up. Like so, so we, I had, uh, I got to see a lot of my favorite bands, uh, and then I got to see a lot of the fantastic Norwegian bands that turned out to be huge at some point. Um, but there, I, I think I would have loved to experience like London at the time. That would have been something. Yeah, I mean, that that's the one good thing about living somewhere like London, New York, anywhere like that, is that all the bands play there. So yes. if, you, if you have the money and you have the time, you can see pretty much any band that is currently touring, you know, they will wind up in your city at some point. But it will also drain your bank account faster. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I speak well, from I, personal experience. <laughs> it will drain I, your bank account faster than you can imagine. <laughs> well, I, I spent, I would say, all my money at some point on, uh, like, making sure my computer was kind of state-of-the-art. Uh, mm -hmm. And then, and music. Um, and, and the album that we, we will be talking about at some point, uh, that was one of those things that I bought. I had, like, 20 pounds uh, the album was 17, uh, and that was, so I had three pounds for food for the next couple of weeks. It should be fine. Like, I, I did one <laughs> of those things, uh, and it was fine. I, I don't regret that for a moment. Excellent, excellent. Before we get on to the album uh, that you wanted to talk about, one of the questions that I always ask people, uh, guests on the Backstage Pass is, what is your favourite album that we have already covered on the show so far? Um that's a, that's a good question. Um, my favorite one, not my favorite episode, but my favorite album. Um, I think it would either be the, the Ride Lightning or October Rust was excellent. It's excellent. Vulgar display of power. Uh, but I will say that one of the things that surprised me the most, like the Halloween episodes, Nice. Like the fact that I ended up because uh, that that is too kooky for me usually, <laughs> but I fucking love it. <laughs> that was a good episode. I think that still might be one of our longest ever episodes as well because we did both, obviously, you know, sort of both albums in one episode. 
Yeah, um, I, I, I did. And that was one of those, uh, like I did the homework uh, and I listened to the episode and you always want to make me listen to more music. That is one of the things that I love about this podcast is I always walk away from it thinking, oh, I just want to listen to some music. Like it's just that thing. Um, and I, I, I still listen to Halloween from time to time, which is sort of horrifying, but uh, <laughs> it's a great album. I was did you say, bring did, joy, you know? Did yeah. you do the homework and think, what is this tripe? <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. I, I saw the, like, the, the album cover and went, oh no, it's, it's going to be one of those. And, it, and it's great. That's awesome. Well, uh, before we dive into the actual album, I do have a comic-related question. Because, Torin, you have uh, spent a lot of time with Jane Foster as a character. And obviously, the new Thor movie had just come out. and. Uh, the the thing that I always wonder when I see uh, these characters like come to life on the screen in in these stories is as someone who has spent a lot of time writing this character, how is it pure joy when you walk in and sit down in the theater and watch the character on screen, or is it hard to kind of put aside your version of that character? that you've written and you've spent so much time thinking about and, and, you know, and telling stories with, what is that feeling when you go in and see a character like that on the screen? Is it just, uh, is it hard to kind of reconcile that sometimes? Well, I would say like in, in general, I'm, I'm, I feel like people should do whatever they want with the material. Um, but one of the things that's interesting about Jane Foster, and I've been writing Jane Foster, uh, for three years now, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, the first thing that happened when it was announced that I was writing Valkyrie was a bunch of people messaged me and said like, oh, Jane Foster is my favorite character because they had someone in their life or they had they had cancer themselves. Um, and I know why this character means so much to people. Um, and I was I was anxious that they would treat her story, which is based on Jason Aaron's um, Mighty Thor run um, a few years ago when, you know, he made the Lady Thor. Um, And I knew that if they didn't do it uh, respectfully, a lot of people would be very disappointed. And a lot of people who, like, messaged me a lot about, uh, just about the character. and I think they did that. I, I wish they'd spent more time with um, the kind of the horror of it, because mm. that is one of those things that Jason doesn't shy away from at all in his run. Like he, he'll talk about peeing red chemicals, and and it is in many ways uh, an extraordinary superhero comic. Uh, and, and I felt like they could have. Um, like they didn't need to keep Natalie Portman perfectly beautiful throughout the cancer. Sometimes life isn't perfectly beautiful. Um, so I, I was anxious, and then I knew the second it was done, I knew like I could name ten fans who I know would be sort of disappointed by it. Uh, but I know that a lot of people will also just be happy that she kind of got her. That she was featured in a a better way than she had been in the previous movies. Also, those guns. Good lord. Man. Good lord. She got <laughs> jacked Good lord. for that movie. She really Jesus did. Christ. 
So, so to, to answer the question that people keep answering me, now asking me all the time, like I, I enjoyed it, I laughed a lot, uh, but I do wish they'd spent more time with Jane. Um, uh, and it, it, it is, uh, it, it's interesting to see because we spent so much time trying to make everything make sense. Uh, so when when they they travel through dimensions and uh, like we, we spend so much time making sure that it all kind of fits yep. together and then to see the movie and they just go no we just wait, never mind. <laughs> right it's, they, they it's don't, they don't dive into power, any whatever. of those details right you know, not at all and uh and it, you can kind of sit there and be like well, we already made it for you it's right there it's just just use it but they they didn't and that's fine it's fine so I have a follow-up question to that then, because you are uh, an amazing painter, and anyone who has not seen your portrait work needs to follow you on Twitter, go to your website. Um, you, I know you have a couple of time-lapse videos that you have up on YouTube that are absolutely mind-blowing. Um, I feel like a lot of times with movies, like it, it is, there's so much that's left to fill in the blanks for the viewer of the movie because of exactly what you just said, right? Like there's just not enough time to go into those details to, to necessarily um, connect all of those dots on a deeper level. And it just makes me think of you as a writer and someone who is an amazingly talented painter. Like does, does that painter's mindset drive the way that you write? Or do you see those as very separate Processes, because I often think of movies almost as like painting sometimes, where you you are just um, you don't have the time <laughs> to to um, connect all of those dots. So you have to convey visually a lot of those story elements. And I, I just wonder, as someone who's a painter, like, is does that drive your writing style as well, or are those separate for you? Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much. You said a lot of really lovely things there, Brian. Um, I, I would say that I, I both paint and write comics for the same reason, which is Steve Dillon, um, who is an artist I've, I've always loved. And I, I felt like, um, you know, his, his silent panels, just reaction panels, just one panel of someone reacting silently and perfectly, um, conveying an expression or, an, or a feeling. That's what I'm trying to to paint, um, and uh, when I when I started writing, I didn't write uh, comics, but I found myself just missing the visual aspect of it. So that's why I started writing comics. I just had one of those. Oh, I can just I can just write comics instead because I was writing, and I kind of felt like this would be an ideal uh, point to have Steve Dillon just give us the perfect feeling. Mm-hmm. But I, I will say that the the, um, the process uh, there are some similarities in in as like I I know when a script is done because it's it it stopped screaming at me and it's the same thing with a painting like if I can look at a painting and nothing is screaming back at me then I know it's done um, but when I write like it's it's like somewhere between the light and pulling teeth at any point. Uh, but when I paint, I just, I put on an audiobook. Uh, I already have a plan because I make that before I start painting. And then I'm just gone for a while. So it's it's a, like a meditation thing almost. Mm -hmm. It's my probably my favorite thing to do in this world is just 
not having to think um, and just kind of make make the painting come alive and stop screaming. <laughs> I don't remember who said it, but there's that old adage that uh, a work of art is never finished, only abandoned. Yep. And yeah, I, I feel you there for sure. As you say, when you can look at it and it's not screaming at you anymore, you're like, okay, that's that's good enough. <laughs> yeah, I love that explanation. That That is perfect. All right, let's get on to music then. Actually, funnily enough, I mean, you say about something where you can switch off everything else and just stop thinking music making music for me is a bit like that that's why i you know do the silencio stuff and what have you because that's kind of just so completely separate to everything else i do creatively um that yeah it allows me to sort of just switch off my mind to everything else and just focus on making music um See, that's really interesting to me because it, it is like i know at least that i wouldn't want to make uh, the painting part more work than it is because it provides that thing you're talking about, just the shutting down of the, I don't want to kind of contaminate it in no, any way. But that's what I'm saying. Like for me, making music is like that. I know I put them up on Bandcamp, but, but trust me, I, like, I you know, of, I, all, I, of all I the like things I do. <laughs> they're some of my favorite writing uh, soundtracks. Yeah, well, yeah. bless you. But of all the things that I do, you know, they are the thing that makes the least money. I put them up on Bandcamp because why not? But I am making them for an audience of one, you know, which is me. Um, well, you can now it's three. Right, it's an audience of three. We need it, Anthony. You can't stop. <laughs> but, oh, but oh, I, go on, go on. No, I had a moment when I, I had an exhibition in New York a few years ago, um, and because I'm a, I'm sneaky, I, I've kind of I made sure that the exhibition was at the same time as New York Comic Con, um, and as I was standing, like in the the opening of my my art thing uh, and there was a bunch of like new york art people there and they're like they're like a parody of themselves like it's just it's just <laughs> fascinating to me how they can be so fucking oblivious that there's just that, like it looks like you're in a in a like a, a south park episode because they're just that yeah it's a thing and i had that moment of just these are not my people uh and if i need to please these people i will go insane i'm in trouble yeah, yeah I, i've been I, to new york poetry readings where the literary critics are the same you're like oh you, you look like you've just walked <laughs> off of a cartoon page yeah <laughs> and, and, and i love that i love the absurdity of it and i i, I like um I, I, I kind of love it, but I don't want them to have any control or effect on my life at all. Um, so when I paint, I, I just do it. I, I paint for when people pay me com to, to paint their people in their life, like portraits of people. But I always make sure that I tell them, like, I will choose... Uh, I will choose the expression and the way it comes out. And if you don't like it, I, I'm not going to paint like a smiling child. Yeah. Unless it's a great smile. It needs to be something. If, it, if, if it's a smile that says, I'm going to burn down this house, then yeah. That, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, okay. So here's why. I, here's kind of why I brought that up, because I think that is a pretty good segue, actually, into talking about uh, the album, and particularly the people who make the album that yep. we're going to talk about today. So tell us what we are going to talk about and why you have chosen it. Okay, we're going to talk about A Perfect Circles, uh, the, the, the debut album, Mer de Noms.
And why are we talking about it? Well, I'll go a bit back first because uh, I found this, I think I was 16 when it came out. Um, and by that time, I'd I'd spent a lot of time like with metal in general, and I tried to dip my toes into um, like the Chicago, not necessarily grunge, but like I loved Smashing Pumpkins, um, and I would say that Smashing Pumpkins was my first and last kind of foray, foray into fandom in any way. Like I I, I love them. I read all the interviews, I, I collected the lyrics, I made a website for Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then at some point, quite, quite soon, after, when I was doing this, I realized, like, Billy Corgan is just an insufferable cunt, isn't he? Like, he's just, <laughs> he's just a horrible man in every possible way. Uh, and um, it, it was a little disheartening. And I would say that after that thing, I, I don't, do like fandom. I don't believe in universal brilliance in any way, but I do enjoy things a lot. Um, so when I was trying to kind of find my my thing, I was 16. I just moved out of my. Uh, I, I just moved out into a tiny little place. I had no money, and I do mean like no money. Um, and then I'd heard Judith, which is the first single from this album. Uh, I heard it a few times, and there was something there that I just couldn't stay away from. Uh, so I went to the record store with my famously 20 pounds and, and bought, bought this album, um, and I can still remember being on the bus back to my little place, listening to it and be like, oh, oh, it's yeah, it was worth it. It was worth eating dry rice for the next three weeks. This is excellent. So that's why we're talking about this album, because um, it, I, was it, it was it new at that point? You say that you'd heard you heard Judith. Was that like an MTV or the radio or? Oh, I didn't have a TV, Anthony. I was <laughs> I was poor. Oh, seriously, I did not have MTV. Like I I I think I'd um I I was a computer person, so I had gotten an MP3 of it. I think. Um, well, and that and, was the first single, wasn't it, Judith? Yeah, Judith was the yeah. first single. Yeah, uh, but I did buy it. I think just just as it came out in Norway, because I, I've kind of felt like there was something here, and I did not listen to Tool at all. I still don't really. Um, they were all new to me. All of these people that made this music, I was just there was just something there that I absolutely adored. That's really funny to me because I I assumed. Most people who listen to A Perfect Circle, in, in my experience, are also Tool fans, and so I just assumed that was the same with you as well, that you were a Tool fan, and then you got into Perfect Circle and decided that you liked them more. Again, I, I know people for whom that's the case. But I'm that's really funny to me, because one of the things I was going to say was that I have never gotten into Tool. Like, they feel... Tool feels like a band that I should like. They feel like a band that I should really be into. They're kind of like a heavy REM in mm. some ways. <laughs> and like, and I'm a huge REM fan and I like heavy music. So, but, but I, there's something about tool that just doesn't compel me, doesn't grab me. And I don't know what it is. Um, so that's really well, that funny to, to hear that you don't listen to tool. I just <laughs> assumed that you were a huge fan and therefore you'd also become a perfect circle fan. Oh no. Uh, and I would say that I have like, 
and and this it's the same with perfect circle to a certain extent but i do like the more wank you put into a thing the less interested i'll be um and i i'm not like you you can like tool have the like the fibonacci sequence with the vowels and yeah, the yeah. lyrics and the weather like i don't give a shit like i don't i don't need that in but my life at all but that's maynard james keenan's whole thing oh, like yeah. everything he does is full of wank and sometimes uh, in a good way <laughs> but sometimes too much <laughs> but, but the thing about Maynard, and and I, we, we will probably talk a lot about Maynard, because I would say as a as a singer, he is extraordinary. Like there are, I, I would he's probably my favorite singer ever. Um, but and I I can deal with the the I, I think he's uh, he he takes in a lot of things and he tries to figure them out and he sometimes it's a joke and sometimes it's not like merdenums means sea of names um but it, like the french do any of you speak french a little yeah of, of course you do anthony excellent uh, a little bit i took french in high school and uh, my last name is french so indeed I kind of just figured that you would have some French knowledge here for me. I, I also took French in high school, but the but the teacher he put me in the front of the class because I was one of those you know metal kids, and then he had a gap in his shirt at all times, so I was staring at his belly button, <laughs> and I didn't like I can't remember anything. It was just a horrible thing, and he and he he had had my my mother and my sister, so when I was there, it's like oh another Grenbeck, oh my god. So I, I I can't I don't even know how to say hi. Um, but anyway, like Merdinoms, uh, there's been some kind of discussions about if it's if the grammar is correct. Um, and apparently, like like Maynard enjoys the fact that if you say it in a certain ways, uh, it'll be murd murd murd. Yeah, uh, yeah. As, as in Merd. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Merdinom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was hot, Anthony. So, uh, so that so that would be shit name. Yeah, that would be yeah. shit names. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and and I, I enjoyed the humor of it. I, I like that. Like he he presents something very seriously, and there's always some kind of humor in it. And I can deal with that thing as long as you kind of get the joke. And um, I told this story once at the uh, in in the Facebook group when I was still facebooking. Um, like I went to a Dimitri Borger concert once uh and dark funeral i think was opening and they had like inverted crosses huge inverted crosses on the on the stage and they had like hamburgers stuck to the inverted crosses while they were playing and they were eating hamburgers and you know you have to kind of see the joke of it like it is <laughs> like it is a ridiculous thing and if you don't get the joke like uh, i don't right. know how many times i've been like hit on on uh, like goth nights by men going like oh together in the darkness we shall go <laughs> like that kind of and it's, it's just so fucking cheesy so i i want people to get the joke and That's i amazing. think that maynard gets the joke but a lot, a lot of the fans don't so this is also this explains also why you like typo negative then because yeah that's entirely their kind of yeah getting the joke yeah you know making but the, joke like and they, the joke they come across as getting the joke right where i think for some people maynard they're not sure you like you say you know, that if he's being or like i think based on what you just said Torin, like it it he gets it um but i think a lot of people kind of take them at face value um 
you might be surprised how many people took typo negative at face value as well. That Believe blows my mind because I don't see how you can. They're they're oh, yeah. they're no. like the monsters or the Adams family. <laughs> like like well, yeah, they weren't. They weren't. Yeah, they were quite blatant about it. But seriously, loads of people took them really seriously. It's uh, yeah, the same people that were hitting on Torrin at the concert exactly. together in the darkness. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 The people who go to see Dark Throne and and don't yeah. snigger halfway through. You know. Totally. <laughs> But and it, it always it, it, it's one of those kind of we would call it like an acid test when you meet people like how how much of this do you get and understand and uh, as I said I'm I don't like hero worship in general I don't do fandom and I like people who are great at what they do uh, and in this like perfect circle you have Billy Howardell who is kind of the brainchild of it all he he wrote most of the songs before. Uh, Maynard was ever involved, mm-hmm. um, so he he was like renting a room from Maynard, and he was playing some of his demos. And Maynard came over and said, "Hey, I, I think I could picture myself um, singing these songs." Um, and Billy originally had planned to have a, a female vocalist, uh, but it's hard to kind of say no to Maynard, and he is brilliant. So. Um, and, and I, I enjoy that in this kind of imperfect circle, I think Billy is more interesting in many ways than Maynard. Uh, but what Maynard does is he brings excellent vocals, um, c- quite brilliant, honest lyrics, uh, and all the confusion, of course, like all the wank, but in, in a fun way. Well, I think he also, it's, you know, it is important to acknowledge as well that what the other thing he brings is attention. That, oh God, you know, yeah. He was yeah. by far, because Tool were already successful when they right. started A Perfect Circle. And there's no question that they got a lot more attention than, you know, another startup band, as it were, would have just because of him being the singer. Oh, absolutely. And, but he did make a conscious effort to kind of step away from the, the the spotlight. And he always tries to, like, he dresses in the stupid wigs and everything. And it, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's part of the kind of... It distances himself from the spotlight while making himself po- more popular at the same time. You, um, you mentioned that um, Howard all originally wanted was it Liz Fraser from Cocteau Twins? Oh yeah, I think so. But I think he, that he, he origi- can you imagine what that would have sounded like? <laughs> I, I think we we might find out uh, not necessarily like Lizzie, but he's doing. I think he's releasing just right now, basically uh, another solo, um, and I think he's gotten a female vocalist. But I, I might be wrong. I just because I don't uh, like you guys pay a lot of attention to uh, the music news. I just kind of catch it where where it is at this point. If you think we do, I think you think you probably overestimate. <laughs> It sounds like you do. When you talk about things, you sound like you know what you're talking about. We fake it well. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> so, one, I mean, you picked this album. Obviously, you love this album. But what about, did that make you a fan of this band? Or is it just this one particular album that you're into? No, I would say that I, I love the band. I think 13 Step is even better. I know a lot of people disagree with that. But I think 13 Step is probably one of my favorite ba- albums. I, I keep adding Norwegian words in this. I'm sorry. Um, I just woke up. (laughs) I don't know how to speak. Um, It's probably my favorite album, but this is more metal and it's roar and it it has less of the songs that I would have to be like, oh, could you just ignore that one? Because 13 Step has a few of those where I think like, ah, 
this is too weird um, or, or too experimental. But I think this one is is kind of solid all the way through. Maybe not over, which is the, the last one, which is just Maynard going, it's over and now it's over for two and a half minutes or something. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 Uh, but other than that, I, I think this it's a solid album. And I think it was... Uh, it, it's one of those albums that I listened to at the time that I can pick up now and be like, oh, it's still absolutely brilliant. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's 45 minutes, like just under 45 minutes. And if you take away that last song, then it's, you know, just over kind of 40 minutes. So th- that's one of the things that for me stuck out is that it doesn't it doesn't overstay its welcome. None of the songs are particularly long. Like, I think four and a half minutes is kind of the longest that any of the songs are on the album. And so I found it overall to be really easy to kind of listen to and and get through because of that. Like there was nothing that if there was a song that you, that didn't really click with me, it kind of, it moved on quickly enough that it didn't drag the album down for me. It's it's more digestible than a tool album, isn't it? (laughs) Well, exactly. It's funny because like when I first, I think uh, Judith was that first um, single that came out and I must've heard it on the radio. Um, It was close enough. Some of the stuff in that song to, to tool that at first glance, I might, mistake them uh, well i think tool, that's why like, it was the first single isn't it that's but, you know do you, do you want like, to know why it was the first single because i know this it was the record company's insistence wasn't it no it was uh judas priest's uh, rob halford who sat down and listened wow. to yeah they were in billy's tiny little studio and they they just here are, are all the songs they wanted to go with three libras as the, the the first single and he went no go with judith you'll sell a million records and they did and they did <laughs> and yep. they did That's had you heard this album before brian um not the whole album no i had heard the singles off of it but if you asked me to like name one song i don't even know that i would have remembered that judith was the title of the song but there was if i had to pick a song out of a lineup it would have been Judith. That was the song I was familiar with from them. And like you had talked about both of you earlier, I was not a huge Tool fan. I had the one album that everybody bought, which was Anima, right? Um, I, I think. Uh, but other than that, like I was never huge into Tool. So this album came along and I had to look back and see when this album came out, because if you had asked me, I would have said like early 90s. It feels very early 90s to me, not the year 2000 to me as far as like musically. But um, I think I enjoy this album more than like tool in general. Um, and I think it would be totally reductive to think of this as like a, 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 a more coherent or, or less um, obnoxious version of tool. But I do, I, I also appreciate Maynard's vocals. And so I get that here in songs for me that are more listenable and an album that's easier to kind of run through. So it does, it does feel like a, a more user-friendly version to me of what Maynard brings. I I would say that's pretty much spot on with my feelings about it as well. Yeah. I think I'd heard, I think, yeah, I'd heard Judith like everybody because you know, that is, it was the big single off the album. And when, as soon as I started listening to this album in preparation for this, episode i was like oh yeah I'm, you know that one rings a bell none of the others did uh and yeah i couldn't have named any of them other than i did have a dim memory of looking at the album when it came out and going like oh they're all 
women's names. Um, isn't that strange? I don't know. They're not, but you know, it felt like <laughs> many, many of them were. Um, so yeah, this was effectively apart from that one track, this was effectively like listening to it for the first time. And I felt it much the same way in the, Oh, oh actually I'd much rather listen to this than a tall album. Um, I mean, it's still, I, I think it does really start to dip towards the end of the album. Not just the last track. I think even the last few tracks apart from, well, what else my notes? Track 10. Thinking Which is my you. favorite. Oh, well, that's, is this really your favorite? Yep. Wow. It's, it's not my favorite track, but I do love the, the chorus. The sweet revelation line in the chorus is so catchy and that lovely double tracked harmony. That's great. But honestly, other than that, the second half of the album just kind of fades for me. It doesn't really, you know, I'm a bit meh. I don't mind it, but I'm a bit meh on it. I would agree with you, except I do I do feel like that that track for me saves the the back half of the album, and I really like it. I just like it. it's got a good groove to it. It's got kind of it, it's got it sort of brings together for me all of the other elements on the album that I like into one song. It's got it's got a good groove. It has uh, parts of it feel very open and kind of big. The melody is there, and there are heavier elements to it as well. So all of, and the percussion is really good on that on that particular song. So it, I like how that all comes together on that one. Um, but overall I did enjoy the album and I, I've, I mean, just in the past 24 hours, I've probably listened to it three or four times, um, you know, just kind of getting ready for us to talk about it today. But yeah, I would say thinking of you is probably my favorite song in the album, which was nice because it was not one I was familiar with before. So it was, it was new to me. Torren, what's your favorite track on it? Uh, Orestes, I think. Really? Wow. Yeah, That's a good I one too. It. The thing is, I, I find found that I'm I'm pretty easy when it comes to music. Like I, I need a, a decent baseline. Uh and I like it when they play with tempo. Like it's just uh and like Brenya, Brenna. I'm not sure how you said that the 11th track that you yeah. Oh, yeah. don't like as much. I would say that the, the second part of that song is probably one of my favorite pieces of music ever written. Um but it, it does. You kind of need to commit to it. Uh, that was one of those things that I, I. It took me at least a couple of years until I really started loving it. Like the the, the last part of the album, as you say. Uh, but I now I kind of do. But the rest is, is still like my my absolutely favorite. What song. is it about that track? Um, it is when it kind of it it changes and speeds up. By the end of it, I can't talk about music in the way other people can, or probably you can. We're like, oh, the second bridge or whatever the fuck. Like, I, I don't know. Uh, but th- there is something that happens there where the you just it just feels magnificent, and they keep doing that. And I think that's Billy um, being a brilliant songwriter because, as far as I understand, Billy makes the songs, and then it goes to Maynard and says, just add in the words, basically. That that was definitely how this album was done. I gather from reading around that later albums are a bit more collaborative, which is one of the reasons why they've argued more <laughs> on yeah. later albums. Um, but this album, yeah, it was very much like Howard Hull had already basically done all the music and Keenan then just came in and did the uh, lyrics and vocals. Yeah. And the funny thing about, about Maynard's lyrics is like, you he, he can, he just, he can say whatever. It doesn't yeah. need to rhyme. Yes. It doesn't need to, like, you just, he, he will make it work somehow. I um, almost don't even hear words with him. No. I just hear the melody. You well, know, this is, uh, 
this is another reason why I compared them, and I know I was joking, but I'm, I'm only half joking, compared them to REM. Like, there are a lot of similarities, I think, between, you know, both Tall and A Perfect Circle, mainly because of Keenan uh, and REM, because of, for the, all the same reasons, you know, enigmatic lyrics that don't make sense and don't often rhyme. Uh, or don't make obvious sense, I should say, in the sen- in the way that a lot of rock lyrics do. They often don't rhyme. Uh, uses voice as an instrument. Sometimes you can't tell what the hell he's actually saying anyway. Right. Um, and has that approach of like, actually, yeah, we are a bit arty and we are going to experiment and we are going to be intelligent about these things and sort of, you know, use weird concepts. But also we are going to focus on writing you know like good songs that people will enjoy listening to and we're not going to take ourselves entirely too seriously and i think there are you know i think there's a there's a bit of a thesis to be made there (laughs) which makes me wonder about the title of the band as well because a perfect circle is an old rem song a classic old rem song from like their first album um and i don't know if that's a coincidence or not I'm not sure. I think they. it is from one of, I don't remember which one. It's one of the songs that has a perfect circle in it, like the title drop themselves. Oh, is right. it thing. But yeah, I think maybe. Um, but it, it's funny. I've never thought about the REM thing. I, maybe I should give them, like I had a boyfriend once who was hugely into REM. And at some point he, he was like, he was a, he was a, an, an annoying man and he sat me down and was like I, I have this feeling but I can't explain it so I will let Michael talk for me oh, he no. played an <laughs> Orion song for me and I haven't been able to listen to them since okay that, I mean that is enough to put you off a band to be fair oh, that's it. yeah that's the end right there uh, it's amazing uh. I mean, I will say many REM fans, and I include myself in this, are very annoying about it. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I won't deny that whatsoever. But I would say, yeah, give them another, another listen. Um, with regards to this album, I mean, Judith is probably my favourite track, but maybe that's just because of the familiarity. I don't know. But also maybe because it is pretty much the heaviest track on the album as well. Um, uh, but the other one that I really like, actually, is track two, Magdalena. Yeah. Um, Again, it's sort of good heavy song that kind of rocks out. It's, if you take Judith off the album, I think that Magdalena would probably be my favourite. Interesting. It's about a stripper, as far as I understand. Oh, we didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I kind of like that. You have all these names. And Judith is obviously, that's Keenan's mother who um, who kept her faith, even though she was, she was paralysed when he was 11. And she spent the, like, the rest of her life, I think, paralysed. Um, and it, I think he was. The, he's written a few songs about her, um, but this is the angriest. I think like it, it goes like "fuck your god," and it's. it's yeah. a, I, I've I've found it uh, as you know a sixteen-year-old. It was perfect. Kind of, I was angry at something. It might as well be someone else's god. Sure. Yeah. The yep. the other thing about that track actually that got me, uh, which I don't think I'd realised. Listen, you know, whenever I might have heard it back in the early two thousands was how much the final, and this is just a weird musical thing, but the final line of the chorus when he sings, he did it all for you, the way he sings that and the chord change that goes underneath it sounds like Gary Newman. It sounds like late 90s era Gary Newman. And I was like, what the? I mean, that probably is a coincidence, I'm sure. But it was such a weird, it, it doesn't fit with the rest of the song. It sounds so unlike everything else in the song. Very odd. But I mean, it might be a thing. Like he does delight in in 
putting in tiny nods and things to mm. people he either admire or like there's a bunch of Bill Hicks stuff that I always appreciate in his work. Um, I think Renholder, I'm not sure how you say it in... Uh, in uh, it's English. a made-up name anyway, so yeah, Renholder, yeah. yeah. Because it means cleaner in in the region, um, uh, but that is, uh, as far as I understand, uh, a nod to da- Danny Loner. It's Loner? his name backwards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and if you if you play it backwards, you'll you'll hear someone say "Hallelujah, Danny Loner," uh, <laughs> twenty two seconds in or something. Like there's a lot of wank. <laughs> I didn't know that one. <laughs> yeah, but oh, but I do enjoy, I do enjoy the fact that they they do kind of it's a sea of names. There are some stories in here. And you you kind of have to take it or leave it, um, and I, I I love Pusifer. I like Pusifer a lot more than I like Tool, um, and it, it, that's kind of Maynard going full on Maynard uh, with all the humor and, and trying to be a stand up comedian and and bringing like a wrestling ring on stage and it makes for great shows. I've seen them a few times. Um, uh, but I think what you have here is kind of Billy holding him back a little bit. So he adds it into the like the artwork and the and the naming of things, but it doesn't kind of bleed into the music as much uh, as it does both in Tool and Pucifer. I, I think that's often that that seems to be a common theme with a lot of bands that I like actually, where like the principal sort of creative driving force is a bit too weird, but everybody else pulls them back, like stops them from being too weird. And then they go and do some solo stuff and you're like, oh no, that's too weird. No, okay, now I see yeah. the value of the other band but members. But it's the balance, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so, I do think that Maynard, like he, he gets a, 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 like a good, he get, people think he's a genius because he does things in general very well. Like he's got a vineyard and he makes wine that is fucking excellent because he puts everything into it. And he, he does this project that he kind of, He's a renaissance man. Yeah. Yeah. And and people who work them build in general be like, well, it's it was a good experience and he was very good at what he does. So I he gets away with it. Talking about the sound, actually, earlier, uh and sorry, I don't recall which of you said this now, but one of you said I think it was Brian, you said that you if you hadn't known you would have thought this album came out in the early nineties. Um, yes, it, the opening track to me feels very grungy. Well, that's what I was going to say was the opening track and then tracks, uh, seven and eight sleeping beauty and Thomas both really yeah. remind me of Soundgarden. Yes, dude, yeah. dude. Yes. The Soundgarden was exactly what I was thinking of because I was in college in from 92 to 96 and I, I wasn't buying a lot of grunge, but everybody was listening to that stuff. And so that's it, the first band that I thought of was Soundgarden with that. Yeah, the, the guitar tone, especially uh, in the middle eight of Sleeping Beauty, is just just totally, I mean, that could have been lifted from a Soundgarden album. Um, but obviously that, because that's musically, that's Howardle, not Keenan. Um, so yeah, I just think that's an interesting sort of, given that it came almost decade well, actually, yeah, no, that's it, not true, because the heyday of grunge was the mid-90s, even though it started in the early 90s. So I suppose but it, it definitely made me second-guess it, of yeah. like, wait, when did this album come out? So I guess it's only five years or so after the heyday of grunge that this came out. But still, yeah, I think you can feel the the influence of it there. Um, although, funnily enough, the drummer on track one is the guy from Primus, who oh. nobody would ever call a grunge band. <laughs> 
he he only he only did a first track just the, just know, track so, one yeah. yeah yeah the rest of it was a was a different guy but yeah he was um yeah he was hired apparently originally but then only recorded that one track for some reason as far as i understand they they kind of went let's see who we can call in to make the music and we'll see what happens pretty much so they just kind of called in favors and had people play um but billy obviously did a lot of the the music like the, he recorded a lot of the music the weird one there actually for me is the uh bassist yeah paz lenchantin or lenchantin or however you'd say that who it would appear had basically not really been in any big bands at all before this and is brilliant Oh, she's fantastic. Um, I think she quit to join uh, previously mentioned Cunt's, Billy Corgan's new project, Swan. Yeah, and um, she's in Pixies now as well. I think, yeah, she's she? in Pixies, yeah. which is probably a better place to be. Yeah. Um, but she, she's amazing. And, and she, she's like, I, I, I played bass when I was around that age when the Judith video came out. Um, and. I remember thinking like there's there's it was a fun time because there were so many female bases that was kind of what what we were allowed to do in bands at the yeah. time. Well, it was the riot yep. girl time as well, wasn't it? Yep, it, it was a night nice, like it, it is. It was a strange time the nineties. I don't think people quite remember how bad it was, um, but it was a lot of fun and a lot of great music. Uh, but it wasn't a great time for women, if there ever has been one. Mm. she does look very cool in that video though it must be oh she looks fantastic and people freak out about her because she puts her hair up uh in the space of about three seconds yeah yeah. yeah. (laughs) and people keep just like oh it's so cool which i i I find it's funny how you you are men are easy (laughs) be competent have hair that's all yeah pretty much no but i mean like she is you can see actually in that video it's worth watching to maybe realize just how much is going on with the bass on that track, Judith, because listening to it, just purely listening to it, you might not notice it, but then you watch the video and you're like, Oh, Oh, she's doing a lot of work. Oh yeah. Did you know it was directed by David Fincher? No, I did not, but I can't say that surprises me. (laughs) And, and apparently as far as I understand, like once again, Maynard tried to kind of stay out of the spotlight. He didn't want, didn't want to be, easily recognized in it um mm. and they they spend a lot of time on paths which i mean she looks amazing and she's great so that it was fine but they spend a lot of time on Howardell as well to be fair yeah well as they should because it is i would say that Howardell is the reason this album works so well um and like when i mentioned pucifer uh earlier i love pucifer but uh i like them better live I like the live recordings better than the studio albums because then you have just people playing the music and it's not overproduced, which I feel if Maynard gets to be in the studio too much, it kind of, it, 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 it's overproduced. Mm. Um, but they're great live. And I would say for Perfect Circle too, I've seen them live a couple of times and they are amazing live, which is, is always a, a good I, I like that when you have metal bands that kind of works. Smashing Pumpkins, horrible live. <laughs> that was going to be my next question, actually. Yeah, was have you seen Perfect Circle live? So where did you see them? Well, I saw them. I was in, uh, um, let's see, I was in, it was in Kansas. 
Um, I had of, a great time. All the places. <laughs> of all the places. I, well, I, was, I, I had a thing in Las Vegas that I was doing, and then oh, okay. I had a few days between um, uh, that thing I was doing in Vegas and C2E2 in Chicago. Oh. So I, I got on what I went to LA for a couple of days, and then I took one of the your excellent Amtrak trains, which I highly recommend everyone taking a trip on. Um, which takes like a couple of days from LA to Kansas. And it was an amazing time. Uh, and then I got off in Kansas and I felt, um, uh, it was one of those weird concert experience where like I thought maybe I could take a bus to the place where you they played. Uh, you can't, there are like 10,000 people at the, at the concert and there are 10,000 cars next to the concert place like it, i love america but you're all crazy um but it was amazing no that was the first, yeah so it how is. did you get there um i took did you do catch an, a ride <laughs> i took it took an uber and then i walked <laughs> for the last like couple of miles and i said no just get <laughs> me off here miles? yeah and the guy was like are you what what fuck are you talking about like, you you're like yeah just walk? let me out here yeah. yeah but again to a european that's not that unusual yeah. I guess. Would I would I rather be in a Uber with a stinky guy that <laughs> like and it was one million degrees outside? Oh, maybe not. But I'm Norwegian, so everything above, you know, whatever feels like too much. Um, but it, it was great. Once once it got there, it was fantastic. And then who I was with them. Um, who um, who was playing with them? Yeah, uh, I think the prayer. I think was the opening act. Yeah, prayer. Them. No, it's it's uh like uh, I don't know. It's married to Cat One D. If you're into that sort of thing, I don't know. All right. it, it was it was a, a great show, and um, uh, and I just want to say I do love America, and especially Kansas. I made Jason take me all around Kansas, including the Walmart, uh, because I hadn't been to Walmart ever, and I thought like a Walmart in Kansas that must be something, and then. Like when I opened the door at the parking lot, the first thing I kind of walked into an argument. So the first thing I heard was someone going, "Hey, fuck you too!" I was like, yes. <laughs> Fucking love America. Yeah, that's part of the that's part of the tourist experience. Absolutely. Yep. Um, one thing I wanted to go back to that you talked about earlier was the the idea of fandom and how you talked about like smashing pumpkins. Pumpkins was sort of your. Um, your exit from, you know, getting too much involved in fandom about anything. Because I, I feel like in, especially in the age that we live in now, I have definitely over the years, like, gotten away from getting into fandom in general. In fact, it was one of the reasons that um, we actually kind of stopped doing the comic book podcast that I used to do years ago, is that, the, like, just the fandom elements of it were getting to be so not fun anymore <laughs> that we that we kind of uh made our way out of it but yeah it's it, it, the reason it, it came up for me is because like even in our facebook group which is always very um sort of joyous and in general positive and people sharing a lot of ideas like there's still those fandom issues like the megadeth versus metallica memes that get posted and stuff like that and i like even now i kind of roll my eyes at that and think like are any of these people people that you really want to 
like get behind and and you know be obsessed with and be like he who is without sin kind of yeah totally it's like who are who are we you know who are we sort of carrying a banner for you know what i mean um so i definitely identify with that in terms of like you i think when you're younger you have those things that you're just so super passionate about right and you're in your fans of this thing and you identify so closely with it and i just feel like you get older and you're just like yeah the work itself like the music itself is all is still very very important to me but the fandom thing not so much anymore i i think it was especially for me because i you know that period where like you don't really have a personality but you do have bands you like yep yep uh, and yeah. I, I had like I, I had I, I do look like a goth. Like even if I don't do anything, uh, I'm pale. My hair is dark. It's not black. It's just dark. I, I think the first time anyone commented like you wear a lot of black, I was seven or something. I just never, I never thought about it. Um, so I very fast kind of put into the, the tiny little box of like metal goth people, which was fine. And I did certainly. Um, it, it was a nice place to be. I enjoyed that thing, and I loved the music. But it does come with, as I said, like being um, into metal, and I do hope it's better now, but uh, in the 90s, and being a woman, or at that point, pretty much a girl, it, it, was, it wasn't that easy. And kind of taking it in as part of your personality and then having to deal with the fact that not only are a lot of the people quite uncomfortable, but a lot of the people who you listen to are not the greatest of people. I found it easier to not go full fandom because it would mean mm-hmm. kind of accepting a bunch of things that I don't necessarily like, both in the bands and in the kind of community. But like in general, it's very good. But there are like if you if you're a woman at a metal show that you will be groped a lot and it's always one of those things that you like especially in the 90s i don't think i i thought it was kind of just one of those things that you just have to accept um but it, it at some point you grow older and it's just kind of it, it annoys you in a way that uh it's 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 hard to accept that you have to deal with that while kind of defending your like you you get like the the why are you here kind of questions where you have to it's defend. like the gatekeeping stuff that you know yeah but just done stupidly like right the, no, like absolutely 100%. if your metallic album isn't this your favorite metallic album isn't the same as mine then you don't <laughs> right. know what you're talking about and uh, then uh, yes yes absolutely um, and and it is uh, like I, I I made like a conscious effort at some point to be like I, I'm not going to step away from the music, but I'm going to step away from the um, kind of the community of it because um, it, I, okay I'm going to tell you a story and it's it's not a great story but I'll tell you anyway and you can see what you think like I was I think this was quite. Festival, the Court Festival, um, in I would say '98 or '99, and it was a great lineup in many ways because this was um, like a pretty mainstream festival. But we had Skunk and Nancy and Marilyn Manson, and I think Placebo and Garbage. And it was a, it was a Fat Boy Slim. It was a bunch of great things, lots of great acts playing. Um, and I had a guy come up from behind and just 
stick his fingers into me. Um, which is Jesus. Uh, yeah, but I mean, it's not. Yeah, but it's not. It's not uncommon. Um, but the horrifying thing to me was after the concert, I told my mates, and I added in this detail, which was. I was on my period at the time, so I made a joke about like him being caught red-handed. And I would say their sincere, honest, knee-jerk reaction was, oh, the poor guy. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is and, unbelievable. And, and I was 13, maybe? I don't know. Like, it's just, and it is one of those things, like, it sticks with you that you have... Um, like you, you're allowed to be in the space, but not without being pestered a bit. Like you have to kind of take it to be able to enjoy the music and enjoy the things. And and obviously, what I do is, like next time you wear jeans, and then uh, you, you you talk to the guy next to you and say, "Hey, if someone touches me, can you punch them?" And then you like, like you, you you try to protect yourself. Uh, but it it was still the the thing of like oh I don't think my even my mates really have my back here, really truly because it was a strange time for uh, it was a strange time for how you would look at women in general, and I well, do hope it's better now. And the the fact that you even have to defend yourself yeah, that's the thing the fact that you even have to think about that and about wearing jeans rather than a skirt or something is just absurd. It, yeah, but it, but it, it, but it was like it, 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 I, I told this story to like a group of friends last weekend, and the funny thing is, all the women there were like, "Yeah, it's happened to me basically the exact same thing, except for the period blood." Uh, but and and all the the guys kind of went, "Oh, that's horrifying," and blah blah. blah. And, and just I wouldn't tell this story if I felt like if I wasn't completely finished with this thing. Uh, I'm just saying it. It was a. It's a strange. It's strange how all the women have the experiences of these kind of things, and all the men are like, "Oh, that's horrifying." We've never, we would never, and I'm sure, like you, you, I know both of you are really great guys, so you wouldn't. Um, but there, it, it, it's hard to kind of feel safe in that space for, um, like for a festival it would it would always be like a thing that you have to deal with on top of everything else um and i i think it sort of it made me turn away from the community to a certain extent um and to bring it back to this podcast one of the things that i've so truly missed after i stopped working in the record store and after i stopped going to festivals is just sitting around talking about music so when you started the podcast i was like oh this is the thing i missed like this is the thing i I missed having this in my life just lovely people talking about music talking about the things that we love i think it's the thing that both of us missed as well i mean that's one of the reasons why we started doing it and why why we're still (laughs) doing it you know i yeah i I live in the middle of nowhere i have nobody else to talk to this you know have these sorts of conversations with i don't hang around anymore with i did yeah when i was you know in my 20s or something but i don't uh yeah hang around anymore with people that i who where i who i can discuss paradise lost's latest album or something that's not (laughs) that's not gonna happen not around here (laughs) yeah i mean that that story uh I mean, just speak so deeply to privilege, first of all, right, of, of the guys like never having to even think about that being, you know, something that they they have to 
be consciously concerned about, right? And then also the price that that this idea of like that that there is a there is a price that you have to pay to be part of this community um, is just, I mean. It's yeah, just. It's, it's, not I mean, it, it's not great, but I mean, everyone has like it is a cost for everyone always everything, and I think that in general, my uh, love for metal and live music and it's been a mostly extremely positive thing, um, uh, but. It's just there are. I've thought about it. Like, why did I stop doing it? Um, and I think it was because I still go to concerts, but I'm one of those horrible people that sit in the back now. Like, I sit down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah because me. I'm old. And <laughs> yeah, well, I'm old. Yeah, so there's a lot <laughs> yeah. of sitting at concerts. Yeah. yeah. So I, as I suppose, like, I didn't stop going to concerts. I just stopped being in front row, jumping up and down, and. It's not the same. Like I'd miss it so much. I'm not sure my back could take it. Like I'm, I'm an old woman at this point. Uh, but, um, but I, I stopped doing it, and I stopped hanging around with the people that I used to go to concerts with a, a lot because of um, just how I would feel about things at the end of the night. Just to sort of, um, you know, inject a bit of lighthearted, was it? Yes, moment. I, I can assure you that your back would suffer because the last time I saw Paradise Lost, all I did was stand at the back of the crowd and just sort of, you know, rock back and forth uh, in, in time with the music. And the next day I could barely walk. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> This is excellent. I, I I fractured my spine, uh, like I broke my back uh, seventeen Lord. years ago or so. Yeah, I know. Uh, and and I didn't, I didn't, it didn't occur to me because I, I've been getting better and I, I'm almost fine. Um, but standing still, just standing still, I can't do it anymore. Mm. I, I don't have to sit or walk. I can't just stand around. So I, I learned that at some point uh, during, I think I saw Simon, which is. Another, I was considering either forcing you through another Opeth album because <laughs> it would be delightful to force you through a ghost reveries or something, um, or doing some kind of strange Norwegian thing. And in that case, it would have been Sigman, which is one of my all time favorite bands that I'm not sure is a great band because I just love them so much. I have lost all objectivity a long time ago. <laughs> it would be fun to have you guys no of course because they, they sing in the region and it's a, it's a whole thing but it would be nice to force you to google translate all the lyrics and everything it would be great <laughs> at some point we will do more norwegian bands i'm sure you know for, yeah, yeah. But inevitably if we get around to some black metal bands uh you know there's it's probably going to wind up being a dimmer borgia or something um not an our album but <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe. Well, that's why you could maybe need to bring unjustly maligned back. You know. Well, you see, there's the the one the one pop star who has never let me down, who has never turned out to be, uh, you know, some kind of insufferable wanker, is Morton Harkett. <laughs> really? <laughs> okay, I'm gonna think about. I, I meet him sometimes. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll try to take a picture next guy and send it to you. Uh, uh, just wondering if I have any because I've always thought that he is. He, he's a little insufferable, 
but oh, he's oh, not in, in, insufferable in the sense that like i'm sure the man isn't short of ego but i mean oh, it, yeah. I, I meant more in terms of you know turning out to be some kind of horrible person Oh yeah, no, I don't think it's a horrible person. But that is interesting. Like uh, to me, uh, the um, uh, I I find it almost impossible. Like if I know something about uh, the people playing the music, that I just it, it's like it absolutely doesn't work for me. I, I will have a problem with the music. And I always find it interesting how you can have alt-right people liking Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. And then being like, nuts. no, it's we're, we're fine. We don't listen to the lyrics. I'm like, how, how is this possible? <laughs> yeah, people saying, what or, machine or did you think they were raging against, what dude? Yeah, exactly. A dishwasher? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right, let's let's wrap this up then. Um, one, I mean, that's a, we've talked about it a little, but, you know, the, the last question I always ask on these is if people do like this, album if people have listened go and listen to a perfect circle and they like this what else should they check out either by the same band or from other bands and i suppose the obvious answer is tool but as we've said like we all like this album more than we like tool so where else do you go well i I would definitely check out the 13th step which is the next album um and then if you like it go to pucifer and not to tool I'd say because Pussifer is much the same uh, in the like they they have a lot of great songs. Uh, it's just more weirdness, like it, it's more more theater and more stand up and more more strangeness. But you don't have to deal with that if you don't want to. Uh, and I, I think like uh, there, I think Pussifer is the the um, the band I've listened to most in my life ever. Wow. Really? really? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> Would so, not have so, expected that. <laughs> oh, really? No, I, I, I think so. I, I think I, I had like a, a half a year where I just, I didn't listen to basically anything else. Uh, and it was not a bad half year. Um, I don't and, even know if I've ever heard of a song. I'm that. not sure I have. I'm trying to think now. <laughs> no, it's just, uh, if I have a theme song, it's Dozo from the Pacific album. I, I don't know. It, it is. Uh, well, I will definitely check them out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but you you do have to deal with a certain amount of weirdness, and um, and when they now. do when they have the, their shows, they usually bring up like they have characters in the show, and they have like um, like there there was the last tour that I went to see. They they had a full wrestling ring with wrestlers, and they at some point was just twenty minutes of wrestling. Um, which was met by with like confusion by the Norwegian audience who have never seen wrestling before in their lives. Uh, but it was fun. It's fun. See that kind of show. I could see myself going to see because I do miss some of the, and I think that's one of the things the that theater. I kind of like about ghost is the, yes, the theater of it all. Whereas I think back in the, you know, seventies, eighties, there was so much of that. And now it just feels like a, now, who is it? it Maiden, it, it, Rammstein, and uh, Ghost are pretty much the only people left doing those sorts of large-scale shows like that, aren't they? Yeah, and like not to the degree of like having a wrestling ring or anything like that. But but like I think when you say things like that, like I think of like Wasp back in the day, right? That was just doing like good, crazy shows and stuff like that. And so I do enjoy that. I that's why when I saw King Diamond. Um, on the, I forget what it was. I think it was the Mayhem tour or something like that. Uh, 
I loved it. I just loved the whole theatrics of it all. And that is definitely one of the big draws for me, especially live to see Ghost is that sort of thing. So I, I think I would enjoy a show like that. One of the, 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 the first Metallica show I went to, as I said, I was 12. Uh, there was a man running across the stage on fire. And, oh, that was the Cunning Stunts tour. Yeah, and and the thing is, like, we didn't know. We didn't know what this was. Was it real? Was it not? And and no one yeah. knew. And we didn't have the internet, so we couldn't just go on Twitter and be like, "Hey, is that a thing they do every time?" Um, and and I was, it was amazing. I was just blown away. And then I saw Rammstein. I think the next year when I was, yeah, thirteen or something, and they were kind of simulating ass fucking on stage and i was just like there is something awesome here um and then i realized at some point when i was talking to some friends that i've never seen you know those slick cool pop shows where you have a bunch of dancers and everything like i've never seen any of those shows ever i've only seen like the crazy shit the the men on fire at the you know, ass fucking and that giant the, phalluses shooting flames and things. Yeah, all of the brilliant <laughs> things that uh, crazy metal people bring along, and obviously the the wrestling rink. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> all right, well, I think that's as good a place as any to bring it to a close. Then, so uh, Torren, thank you so much for coming on and chatting. If people want to find you and follow your uh, work, your comics and your painting, what have you? Where can they find you online? They can find me on Twitter and Instagram. Possibly easiest to just to Google my name because it's it's a strange Norwegian name. Um, and I also do fucking TikToks from time to time, which is a horrifying thing. Really, I didn't uh, know that. Oh, <laughs> I didn't yeah, know yeah. that either. <laughs> oh, it's a it's a it's a it's a scene. I feel so old. I I really thought I was doing well. Like I'm 38, and I thought I was like keeping up. I'm not. I'm old. I'm. It's just I don't know what the kids are into. I don't understand anything. Uh, well, you make us feel very old. Oh, uh, say, yeah. yeah. Brian and I are both pushing 50, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. I'm just saying, you wouldn't understand TikTok either. But uh, I feel like your time-lapse, uh, your your painting time-lapses would be amazing on TikTok. Yeah, that was what I was thinking. But the thing is, it, they are too long. Like, you have to shorten oh. everything down to, or I'll have, like, a nice hook or big boobs. And I, I realized that's the thing. <laughs> but I, I would say that if you want to contact me, you can do that on Twitter or Instagram. Or, I mean, you can try messaging me on Facebook. As long as you don't, like, like I'm, I'm writing Punisher now, which is the best. But I also get, uh, like, very nice people, men, uh, explaining Punisher to me patiently uh, and yeah. and uh, in many messages. Uh, and then, so my DMs are all like Punisher people. But um, I mean, there are a lot of great Punisher fans. There's just a lot of people explaining Punisher and then people asking for pictures of my feet. So if you want to talk oh. about people, do, <laughs> do please send me a message. I'd love that. Uh, all right. Well, we'll link to your Twitter in the show well, notes. Excellent. And for, uh, are, is Jane Foster, uh, Jane Foster and the Mighty Thor, that's the current book, right? That's the current book, yeah. That is the current book, too. So people should definitely check that out. And if anyone has, like, the Marvel Unlimited app, um, you can go back and read Mighty Valkyries, uh, Valkyrie Jane Foster, um, and the the Warhammer series, too, right, is on, yeah. is on that now? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, I do. I think so. I'm not sure if it's on there's some licensing stuff. I, I, I don't know. But you should read the Warhammer stuff. It's, it's cool if you like Warhammer. Yeah, kind of a prerequisite. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody go back and, and check out all those great comics absolutely absolutely yeah all right well thank you again Torrin 
uh, and thanks to everybody for listening. Remember, if you enjoy Thrash It Out, go and please uh, spread the word. Rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, you know, all the usual places. Um, and if you want to support the show and be in with a chance of getting your own, your very own backstage pass, go to patreon.com slash thrash it out and pledge your support today. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, go to thrashitoutpodcast.com for links to email and Twitter, or of course, join the Facebook group where Torren does sometimes post as well uh, at facebook.com slash groups slash thrash it out. That's all for now. And we'll see you next time. Take care. <laughs>